Good morning, and happy 4th of July to you, the moment where you celebrate independence from England. <laughs> a good move for you. Uh, and this weekend was not a bad weekend to be an Englishman as well, if you watched the football or what you would see as soccer yesterday in the European Cup. Sarah laughs at the fickleness of the English and that we're not that interested in the national team until they're doing well. And then suddenly, wait a minute, everyone's a fan, right? Uh, yesterday was one of those days. 4-0. It, it, it was a good win. So, But equally, today is a very different day. Happy 4th of July. Do you, have you ever, do you ever have those moments where you hear a song? Maybe you're in a car or on the radio or something, and instantly it takes you back. You have those moments Maybe it was a kind of vacation song, or you were young, first summer job, and this song was big, and you remember it. For me, the refrain that we sung, which is a section of a song called Obsession, My Heart Burns For You, that's a moment that, that will always take me back. Uh, I didn't expect to say this, and I didn't expect to sing this. In 1996, I was 16 years old, and I attended this strange but wonderful youth worship event. And that song was being played. And during that song, uh, I went forward for prayer to meet and know and follow Jesus for myself. And that was playing. And whenever I hear that, it's funny how much has changed in life. But suddenly you can have these moments where all of the other stuff fades away. Like, oh yeah. So... Um, I didn't expect that. Anyway, today is the last day of this mini-series where we've been going through this small New Testament book called James. This is how I want to introduce it today. In our house, I've got a tool box, and there are many tools. Here are four of them. The hammer, the screwdriver, the tape measure and a pair of pliers. Each one of these tools is effective at doing a different task. It would be very silly to say, this one is my favorite and I will use it for everything. That would just be ridiculous. Um, but they're all very good at doing a different task, depending on what you need to do. None of them are very good just as visual props. If I have to put a nail into a wall, looking at the hammer won't help me. I have to pick the hammer up, and I have to use it for its intended purpose. And there's four of them. In the passage that we're going to look at today, there are four elements, sections, bullet points, if you like. And they work a little bit like the tools. They were designed for a particular purpose, for a person at a particular time that had a task or situation that they were in, and they were designed that these elements, these tools that we see in this passage will help you if you don't just look at them, but you engage with them. And in the example of this, if you use it for its intended purpose. So we're going to look at James 5 with that in mind. The four sections first one is money. Do you 
wish you were better with money? Or maybe do you wish you had more money? Or do you wish that um, you could use it differently because at times it feels like money uses you? Some of us will connect with that. The next one is patience. This is a challenge. I remember growing up being told patience is a virtue. I didn't particularly understand the word, nor did I necessarily desire whatever they were talking about. Because it was always being said to me at a time where I wanted something to happen quicker than what it was. Patience. The third one, healing. When we think of healing, we often think of someone who's hurt their arm or their leg or something. But it's healing in the bigger sense. Yes, it's body, but it's mind. But it's also the brokenness that we see around us all the time. My goodness, is a healing at all that we all need at this time. And then the last one, this final coming together, when this person has written this letter and they've stuffed it full, what's the final words? What's the sentence that someone says in their dying moments? What's the last thing? If you only remember this, I want you to remember this. That's where we're going to get to. So James 5. I'm going to go through it in different sections and pause now, before I begin, I want to introduce something about the beginning. Where I come from, we don't like to talk about money or politics. We're embarrassed, we're shy, we're nervous, we play that down. And sometimes when someone says something that sounds harsh, we think, oh, I wish we could we say that and just soften the edges slightly. James doesn't come from where I come from. And he doesn't even attempt to soften it. So as I read this, it sounds a bit harsh and direct. However, I don't want to tame down what may well be what we need to hear. So with that in mind, we will start with James 5. And I'm going to read from verse 1 to 6. If you've got your Bibles, follow along. If you haven't, the word's going to appear on the screen. James 5 begins like this. And this is where you'll see why I've just said about the English trying to soften the words, because we start here. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of your misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Ouch. And... I guess the next response for many of us is, this isn't for me. Everyone thinks that they're not rich. Most of us live next to someone whose house is bigger than ours. Or we've got a car that's this age and their car is this age. Or we've got one car and they've got several. Most of us, society at large, especially in the very affluent countries do not believe that they are rich. And often it is because the guy next door has a bigger house. But what if this is for you? 
What if this is for me? What if this is for us? Some statistics, and I'm aware that statistics are, are always variable in terms of accuracy. So I spent some time looking into this because I wanted to say, God, if this is for me, I want to hear it. Now, challenges are hard to hear, but if they're valid, let's, let's welcome them. Some, some statistics. The USA continues to be the richest economy in the world. Luxembourg is the richest country per capita. The USA is fifth in terms of the richest per capita. As states go, Massachusetts is second as the most affluent state currently, with more wealth on the east side of that state than on the west. So maybe this is kind of for us. The relentless accusations of this text are not easy to hear. It feels dramatic. It feels too strong. The question I want to ask is why? Knowing the author's intent is important. James isn't trying to condemn people or be harsh to them just for the sake of it. If there's any hint of judgment, it's because he's saying, what is God's plan for you? How should you live in the context of this chapter, of this tour, which is wealth and money, and what do we do with it? The desire isn't to tell us off necessarily, although at times that's valid. But the desire is, how do you live with this? What's God's plan for you? Let me give you some more statistics. In a recent survey, usnews.com determined which states are the most charitable based on numerous indicators, including volunteer rate, volunteer hours per capita, share of population collecting and distributing food, and the share of the populating donating money. This, I thought, maybe this will come good for us. If we're at one end of the scale, maybe this statistic will help us. Massachusetts came in 21st, which is kind of middle of the road. Interestingly... Ohio was one of the states that was the most generous in giving and volunteering and charitable donations. Which is interesting because Ohio came in as one of the least affluent states on the other charts. This is important to consider, and I'll tell you why. Many times we say things like, I don't have enough to be generous. And then we see these statistics where a state that seemingly has considerably less is generous. This is an ouch moment, and I'm hearing it for myself as well as you. But I do think that sometimes the excuses that we make as to why this isn't for me or why we can't, aren't valid. And when we see others that have less, that are generous, uh, that's a challenge that we need to welcome. Maybe this is for us. Returning to the passage, what happens to wealth? There's some descriptive language about it rotting and it decaying. Have a look at this photo. We'll put this on the screen. This is some fruit that started looking really nice. These are some grapes, which were on a plate. I met with somebody. I then went away and forgot the plate of grapes and came back two weeks later, and they looked like this. 
Now, if you wanted to, you could have still said, well, I'm going to try and eat them. Probably wouldn't have tasted so nice. James is using this descriptive language that wealth in itself just rots and decays. That meant something. You can move on. In the cultural context where other gods were worshipped and other gods were made of wood and other materials and gold that rusts and rots and decays. And what James is saying is this God will never rot or rust or decay. But the things of wealth where we just want to accumulate as much as we can is never going to fully satisfy. Now, I do want to pause and flip this on the other head, on the other side for a moment, because it feels like it's all one-sided. Bounty or blessing in itself is not a sin. It's not wrong to be blessed. It's not wrong to live on the wealthy side of a wealthy state in a wealthy country. That's not wrong. Look at this, Matthew 7. We'll put this passage on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God delights in blessing you. It is not a sin. You shouldn't be uncomfortable if you are affluent. Because it may be God's great joy and delight that he's blessed you in that way. He's a loving father and he loves to give good gifts and be generous. Having finance or being well planned or stewarding what you've got and what you own is a good thing, not a bad thing. But what you do with it is important. The principle of stewardship is important. What you do with your money, with your wealth, with your talents matters. Jesus told a parable. And in the parable, someone's got one bag of gold, someone's got two, and somebody's got five. And what God's saying is people have got different amounts. But the question of what you did with what you have is a valid question for everyone. If you find yourself in a position where you've got more bags of gold than someone else, that's wonderful. God will ask you, what do you do with it? How did you hold it? Or how did it hold you? Which is often the case that can happen. And the other thing that this passage leans into is how did you accumulate the wealth? Did you accumulate much on the backs of the poor and the oppressed and others? Did you pay yourself a lot while you paid others the very minimum possible? The Bible leans in the direction of the poor and the widow and the immigrant. Have a look at this passage in the Old Testament. Leviticus 23-22. This is God speaking to the people of God about how they should live. Now, this is an interesting passage. We'll read it and then I'll explain the context. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right to the very edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. In the... NIV, it says, leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you. God is saying to the people, 
don't strip every single cent and every single possibility, but leave edges so that you can be generous to others, especially the foreigner and the widow and the orphan and the immigrant. Leave a blessing for others. This is the way we're, we're meant to, to live. This is a biblical principle. I'll tell you a story about two bosses. I know both of these bosses, and I won't name either of them. One boss had about 20 members of staff, and the other boss also had a similar number of staff. They both had a fairly good financial year, more than expected. One boss looked at the excess and shared it out generously across the whole staff team. Not just loading it at one end of executives and forgetting lesser people, as some would be described, but shared it generously across the whole team. The other boss, and I know this boss, pretended poverty and kind of kept it to themselves. And even though they were having a good time, there was this apologetic pretense that things were hard and things were uncertain and unstable. The scripture here isn't telling you off because you may be wealthy. The challenge is, what did you do with it? How did you accumulate it? And how did you share it? The reason these, this subject is so important is because if we mismanage money, then money manages us. And God knows this. And even though we may find it an uncomfortable conversation, and as an Englishman, we especially find it an uncomfortable conversation, it is one of the most frequent conversations Jesus had because he knows that this has the potential to help you or to hinder you. So the biblical principles of tithing and being generous with money but also with our time are important. And for some of you, this is the tool, the subject, the passage that you need to do something with. And it may be a posture of your heart because God is always more interested in the posture of your heart than your wallet. Sometimes it sounds like they're saying this because the church needs money. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. And when he has your heart, the way you live and the way you give, that will just flow. So I don't want to be someone that just pursues people's money. What I want to do is encourage you to give your heart to Jesus. And when you give him your heart, what you do with your money, it won't be as important. You won't hold it so tight. Moving on, patience. James 5, the next chapter, the next section of chapters, verse 7 to 12. Be patient there, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You have heard Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
Above, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, nor by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Patience. This is such an unpopular subject too. We have never been so easily stimulated with phones in our pockets where we never have to stand in line and wait without filling that gap. We don't have to be patient anymore. And unintentionally, we are turning further into a group of people that patience just isn't something we're any good at. And we've all experienced that moment when you come up to a traffic across. There's this road near where I live, and I'm pulling out of one road onto another road. And if I pause for too long, someone's beeping their horn and calling me all sorts of names. Patience is not very popular. The command in this, pas- in this passage to be patient is connected with endurance, which is a strange link. The term taken in the context of verse 1 to 11 denotes fortitude and steadfastness and trial. This is not patience in the sleepy sense of doing nothing. This is active. This is patience and being active. Not passive. This is not sleepy. This is awake. This is waiting. This is trusting. For some of us, and I'm owning this, this is the tool of patience that we need. I would like many things to go a little bit quicker than they do. And maybe you're with me on this one. Moving on. A theme that's come up so many times over the last nine months, maybe a year, has been do not grumble against each other. And James writes it in a personal sense, perhaps like the wealth analogy where we assume this is not for me, this is for someone else. He says, brothers and sisters, which is this endearing, intimate, hey everybody, this is for you, this is for me. Do not grumble against each other, which has become so normal that not doing it seems unnormal. I used a a sentence this week in a conversation. I said, I hope it's possible for people to disagree without having to dishonor the other person. We've not seen that managed well recently. And I include all of us in our very ordinary lives to the people that hold the highest office in the land. It seems like if you disagree with someone, then you should dishonor them to further discredit them. I want us to be able to disagree well and honor the other person along the way. I believe that that's biblical. I believe the reason it keeps coming up in the passages that we find ourselves looking at is because God, through his timeless word, is speaking to us and saying, there's another way to live. There's another way to think differently but still represent Jesus by being a loving community. For some of us, that's the tool. How do we not grumble? And then lastly... Verse 19, the end of this remarkable letter. Verse 19 onwards. 
my brothers and sisters, which again is really inclusive language. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. James has given so many instructions on how to live all the way through five passages, five chapters. And then at the end, there's this, what's actually really important? And what he's saying is, repent, change your ways, and follow Jesus well. Not just with what you say, but from previous passage, faith and deeds, words and actions. I introduced this series at the beginning by talking about how we taught our children to cross the road. We taught them to stop and to look and to listen and think and then walk. James is saying, I want you to put your lives in order and live the blueprint of God's best for you. And these are some ways that will help you. And then he says, and I want you to help others follow Jesus too. I want you to help be a guide that shines and illuminates the way for others to come into that fold, for others to come into that flock. When we approached this series, I had mixed feelings for two reasons. The first one is because to stand up here and to communicate, we know that people will only remember so much. Some of us have read books where it talks about the one point and only making one point because most people won't remember the other five. And we know that there needs to be a sense of direction and you want to take people on the journey. So you can learn all these things by watching great TED Talks or reading books. And then you get to this passage called James in the New Testament. And it feels like I wish somebody had helped him with some editing. Because almost every chapter, he's got too much cooking in the same pot. And for anyone that finds themselves standing up here trying to read through one of the chapters where there's five messages in each chapter, it's kind of hard. I hope some of that has connected with you. But not just connected with you in the sense that isn't this hammer nice to look at. I hope some of you are saying, for me, that tool is something I need to do something about. I also didn't want to look at this passage because it's the, this, this book. Because it's the name of my late brother. And I didn't really want to go near that. Because uh, it's quite nice to avoid some things. Perhaps like the talk on money. It'd be quite nice to skip over that one and talk about God's love. But sometimes we just can't skip some things. And as I consider the, the memory of my brother and family, it's a little bit like the song that we started with. I attended that youth event because my brother took me along. And I met Jesus that night and we sang Obsession and I can't hear that without remembering. And in some ways it brings it all together in terms of what's actually important. The things that we think are important so often aren't important. 
And when we love and lose family, we become acutely aware of what's actually important. And perhaps it's fitting that James brings it together by saying what's important is that you love Jesus well and live well. And what's important is that you help others to find that too. That's my hope. That's my prayer. That's what I want us to do. So all of this is made possible because of this symbol, because of the cross. If it wasn't for Jesus, none of this, this would just be life lessons, how to, how to live better lives. And the fact remains, we've all not done very well at that. And we can pretend all we like, but we've all missed it. We've all messed up, we've all missed the mark. And God in his love and in his mercy sent his son to reveal who God is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And by showing us the, who the Father is, he then makes it possible that in our brokenness, relationship can be restored. And it looks like a cross. It looks like a sacrifice. It looks like a price that we owed, but somebody else paid. And that somebody is Jesus. And on the night before, his disciples are in an upper room. And we remember this story well. But I often think, I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder what was going on in their minds. They didn't understand this. We understand it because we've heard it and read it and practiced it and celebrated this occasion. But for them, this is this Jewish feast. And Jesus takes it in a different direction and says, I'm about to do something for you that you couldn't do. And he talks about the cross the sacrifice and the price that he's paying. And they sit there, like us, their best bits and their worst bits, at times on display, and Jesus says, I want you to take this. And he passes them the bread. He says, this is symbolic of my body, which is going to be broken for you. And then he pours the wine, the cup. He says, I want you to take this. This is symbolic of my body blood that's been shed for you so we're going to celebrate that we're going to pass these around and if you're joining us online if you're able to grab some juice or some wine or bread or crackers what whatever symbol helps you we are going to remember this jesus said do this in remembrance of me it feels fitting as this book of James comes to an end that actually, what do we remember? We remember Jesus. We don't remember, oh, I need to live better. On your own, that's never going to work. But by coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, there is this area where I need to live better. Can you help me? That's when we're healed. That's when we're held and that's when we're truly restored. Because it was never about our actions anyway. So the way these work is you peel off the top and you get to the wafer. Why don't we do this together? So don't take it, but get it in your hand if you can. And let's, help, let's hold it. And if, 
Why don't you close your eyes? Let's pray. Jesus, we read these chapters of this book and we realize how far from your best we are. But I love that you didn't grade the disciples on their holiness when you offered them the bread. But in their brokenness, much like ours, you said, I want to give this to you. The directness of your words as recorded in scripture take this not if you're ready if you're able to or if you're good enough but the directness where you place this in their hands and you say take this this is for you so father we celebrate this moment and we say yes jesus we receive what you're trying to give us and we take the the bread the wafer And then the cup. This symbolizes your blood. And if you hold it like this, you can kind of see through the clear plastic and see your finger on the other side. And there's something quite unique in that no fingerprint is the same. So while we all hold the same cup, the personal gift that it is to every single one of us is represented in the fingerprint that holds it. So Lord, I pray a blessing on those that receive this cup as intended. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood shed for us. we stand we're going to sing and as we sing I want to offer some prayer response it may be that there's something that was said in the passage and for you you're like okay it would help me for others to to pray for me in this it's a joy as a community to stand together not just to spectate but to have others gather alongside you and say I want to pray God's best and blessing for you in this I went past it quickly but in the passage it talks about the prayer of healing this whole book talks about believing and acting signs and wonders faith and deeds if you need healing Jesus is still able to heal there isn't a New Testament passage where the healing stops it still happens today Sometimes we see more of it than others. One of the reasons for that is sometimes we don't pray that much. When we pray a lot, sometimes we see prayers answered often. When we hardly ever pray, we hardly ever see prayers answered. If you need healing, come forward during this song and the prayer team and myself and and others will pray for you.
but in closing this book that's stuffed into five ridiculously small passages and it should be at least ten. May I encourage you that we center around Jesus. Not by our our efforts and our actions, but we say, Jesus, I want to follow you and live like you. Help me to do that. And thank you for speaking to us through this book. So we're going to sing. If you like prayer, please come forward.